McGuire Report. I'm Paul McGuire. Today's program, we're going to talk about America, globalism, and what is coming next. And a lot of people are, I believe, very wrong about what's coming next. But there are even significant percentages of people who uh, have no clue as to what's really coming next. And we're going to get into it on today's Paul McGuire Report. We'll be back in just a moment. This is Paul McGuire. You are listening to the Paul McGuire Report. This is Paul McGuire. Um, if I had to reflect over my life and look back, um, there are certain themes that would emerge, just like there are certain themes in your life that would emerge if you were to look back, and perhaps you already have looked look back. And by themes, I mean areas of emphasis, areas of concentration, areas of focus, areas of gifting, perhaps even areas of trial. But as you look at them over the long term, or the expression or definition, as you look at them over the long haul, the long haul, baby, you know what I'm talking about, the ups and the downs and the whole thing. When you look at them from the perspective of the long haul, um, the themes are, are not muddied and, and foggy. They, they begin to emerge in a crystal clear fashion, and it dawns on you. I mean, this took me decades and decades to I'm going to share with you some things today on the Paul McGuire Report that may appear to be very simple, simplistic, and, and may appear to be very obvious to you. But I'm telling you, as your friend and your partner and your brother and the Lord, it took me dec- It took me a lifetime. Let's be really honest. It has taken me a lifetime to fully appreciate, and, and I can't even say that I've met that goal yet, because the Lord wants us to be thankful and to be specifically thankful for, we, for when we see him working in our lives. But it's taken me a lifetime to, to be able to see clearly. You know, there's, there's a song I'm not a big fan of. You might like it, and I don't want to offend you, because music is very subjective. But the lyrics go, and again, it, to me it's cheesy. You may think it's the greatest song in the world. But it does, the song does express a truth um, that, that a lot of people relate to, including me. And all I know is some of the lyrics go like, you know, and I'm not going to sing it for you. I'm going to do us both a big favor. It goes something like, I can see clearly now the rain is gone. I can see clearly now the rain is gone. So the idea, obviously, is that you're un- a person is unable to see clearly because of rain. And rain, of course, is water blasting from the skies or a heavy mist from the skies that blocks your ability to see clearly in front of you. If you ever come to California, and if you do, remember you're, you're leaving reality and you're entering the twilight zone. So you've got to be prepared. You come to California prepared. You don't come to California with an idealistic view uh, like I did and my wife did when we first moved to California many, many moons ago. Like so many people, our ideas of Southern California and Hollywood were basically the products of what we saw on TV and the movies. And that's not, <laughs> that's not what it's like at all. I mean, it's like that in little isolated places. 
but that's not what California is really about. Uh, the Twilight Zone would be a better uh, description. So anyway, I can see clearly now the rain is gone. For some reason, maybe it's we're preoccupied. I was preoccupied with the thoughts of the moment, the struggles with the moment, the trials of the moment, the problems of the moment, or whatever it was. And it was blocking me from seeing clearly big picture, the big picture information that God wanted to uh, open up to me as he wants to open up it up to you. So let me just share one. Now, we began to understand, my wife and I began to understand um, the theme initially. We began to understand initially what God was calling us to do and the doors that opened. So it wasn't like, you know, we were in a hurricane and we were trying to see clearly. It was more like a continual drizzle with occasional showers or rain and occasional storms. So we did have an idea of what God was doing in our lives and what God was going to do in our lives. But in terms of the overarching theme and just how obvious it was, kind of escaped us. It's kind of embarrassing to even say it. It kind of escaped us because it was so obvious. It was so right there in front of our faces. You have to say, what on earth? How did I miss that? It's not that we totally missed it, but we didn't appreciate the full, vivid clarity and vision of the impact. So, when we were dating, and then when we got married, we were dating uh, when I was ministering at the Lambs Club in New York City. And uh, this also, coincided with dating my wife in Manhattan during the giant bicentennial celebration of the United States of America, which I write about, you know, what happened to us and what we did in my prophecy of the future of America, uh, some of the other books. So uh, we had a, the Lord put a burden in both of us and me. For America. Now, this was kind of strange and ironic because remember, if you go further back in my life, before I became a Christian, and at this point I had only been a Christian, I would say, for maybe three years, approximately three years. So prior to that, I was a radical in the counterculture, demonstrating and, you know, protesting and counterculture demonstrations and stuff like that. So I, I didn't have a very clear idea of what America, I knew what America was, but my idea about America was not that clear. So it actually fits in, in a theme that I can see clearly now. The rain is gone. And uh, which makes me think of that song by Creedence Clearwater Revival. Uh, I think it's called Who Will Stop the Rain? And Who Will Stop the Rain by Creedence Clearwater Revival was a mind-blowing song that was written during the Vietnam War era. Now, I don't want to get into a divergent stream of thoughts about the lyrics of Creedence Clearwater Revival and Who Will Stop the Rain. But I do want to get into the area of 
you can see clearly when the rain is gone. And so in my life, incrementally, not, not in a, a razzle-dazzle flash of insight, but incrementally, brick upon brick, precept upon precept, the Lord began to light up, if you will, or highlight, using computer terms, if you will, the key themes that it became obvious to me as the Lord was speaking to me in a still small voice and revealing things to me through a variety of means, just like he does to you, that there were certain key foundational themes and callings that the Lord had supernaturally given me, and the events, the open doors, and listen to me carefully, the open doors, yes, the open doors, and yes, again, the closed doors, and you got, you got to really underline the term closed doors, because the Lord speaks to us. Listen up. I'm trying to share something with you that, that will spare you a lot of grief. I'm giving you a shortcut to the promised land, not by cheating God's laws, but a shortcut to the promised land. You can go the long way, like unbelieving Israel did, and they marched forever until they dropped dead before they got to the promised land. So, in this time that we were dating, the bicentennial of America was being celebrated. And then this theme I kept hearing in select Christian media and publications and contemporary Christian music worship albums, and I would hear Jack Hayford occasionally. TV or radio of the church on the way, and he and uh, Jimmy and Carol Owens and Jack Hayford put together a, a, what a, it was a musical that traveled from city to city that gathered the people of God in different cities and unified them to repent, fast, and pray for America while there was still time. So it was a prophetic call to emergency intercessory prayer, but the prophetic call to emergency intercessory prayer was organized and mobilized by a musical and a song known as If My People. And the lyrics of the song, If My People, were centered around the Bible verse, If My People. So in the book of Chronicles, Second Chronicles chapter 7, starting at verse 14, it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, there was a spiritual movement within a spiritual movement in the 70s in early 80s, centered around God's calling his people to intercessory prayer specifically for America, and that it had to involve the basic teachings in Second Chronicles 7.14, such as you have to be called by his name, and you have to humble yourself before the Lord, and you have to be willing to pray, and that includes intercessory prayer, and you have to be willing to seek God's face, and you have to be willing to repent and turn from 
their wicked ways and our wicked ways. And if we do that, if we, we, we genuinely do that, then God promises the people of God in, in America or in any other nation where the people of God obey the Lord and obey this scripture verse, God makes this promise to us, to, to, to genuine Christians everywhere, and to us as Christians in America. If we get serious with God, if my people, then this is what he promises us in the last verse, verse 14. Um, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and heal their land. So a lot of times you'll hear people say, it doesn't seem like God is answering my prayers. I pray, but I don't get an answer. It's like God isn't hearing my prayers, and, and variations of that statement. There could be many reasons for that, but some of the primary reasons why it doesn't appear to you that God is answering your prayers, it may have to do with a number of things. One of the things, potentially, it could be that you're not praying in accordance with Second Chronicles 7.14. And you're not really, you're playing, you're, you're playing church rather than really engaged in church, which is a supernatural relationship with Jesus Christ based on his word. So what God is saying that is you've got to repent of your sins. He isn't saying you've got to be perfect, but you have to wage intercessory uh, warfare. You have to repent of your sins. And if you sin again, then you repent again. It may be a war. And then God promises that if you do that, he will hear from heaven, forgive your sins, and heal your land. Okay, so that became, the Holy Spirit seemed to anoint that verse during the late 70s and the, uh, excuse me, during the early 70s, during the 70s and the 80s, God anointed that verse. So. One day I was sitting in my office, which was 44th Street and Broadway, Manhattan, New York, where the Lions Club was. And I had an office where I was a minister, a, a temporary Christian music producer, promoter. And, you know, it, it was a busy place. And remember, I'm only saved. <laughs> it's really funny. The people that God uses is humorous. I was only saved three years. But I was anointed. That could be potentially dangerous. In any case, a producer shows up at the Lambs Club, where my office is. He had come from California. He had come from Jack Hayford's church, the church on the way. And he had one of, back then, you know, videotapes and video and audio were not in these little itsy-bitsy square, you know, technology stuff. They were in, in professional video formats like Betamax and stuff, or three-quarter-inch VHS videos. These were the machines that Hollywood used. So that's what he had, and it was huge. It weighed about 50, 60 pounds. The tape is double the size of uh, an iPod, or triple the size of an iPod. And he played in really almost digital HD quality. He played a he played a good part of the musical If My People. And, and, and instantly I was moved as I saw many thousands of people gathered at some large stadium 
and they were worshiping the Lord in prayer. And the theme of this prayer musical, it was not, it's, the purpose was not to entertain. The purpose was to function as a prophetic call to the body of Christ to pray and to enlist people to pray and actually have them pray and participate while they're listening to this interactive intercessory prayer musical, If My People. And the first thing I noticed is the way they worshipped was uh, basically different from the way we worshipped initially, which is they were all raising their hands upwards, you know, towards the sky, which is very, which is very normal now in many churches, at least not all, but many. And that was one thing I noticed. The other thing I noticed was I sensed, as Jack Hayford preached, I sensed as the Holy Spirit moved among the people as they were singing the lyrics to If My People, and then actually praying the If My People prayer, which is a prayer based on Second Chronicles 7.14, I sensed a distinct increase, and it was obvious to me that the presence of the Holy Spirit, I could feel it. As they were worshiping the Lord and repenting before the Lord, based on Second Chronicles 7.14, and this guy who, who came from California was an independent Hollywood television producer. And he's playing me this musical, If My People. And I noticed that there was like an electrical charge of God over the production and the people singing and the preaching and, and the musical worship. It was like on a higher, more powerful, more pure level. It's, all, you know, it's really very hard to describe it. And I was very touched by God while I was hearing it. And while I was watching it and hearing it, the Lord began, for me at that time, it was a subtle process. The Lord was kind of putting a little hook in me, an invisible hook. And he slowly, without me really realizing it, he slowly began to form a call for me to eventually go to California. Um, and there were a number of physical world reality reasons God used to accomplish the, the spiritual reasons. Now, I wasn't married to my wife, Christina, yet. That would come just a couple of years later. And I had no, I think at that time, I think at that time, I had never been to California before. Um, no, that's not true, because I had promoted some feature films, and I, from another state, I had gone to Hollywood. So yeah, I had been to Hollywood several times. Um, so eventually, God called and I, we got married. And then by a series of miracles, God interrupts our own plans on a number of levels. And when God does that, you have to be prepared to, to hold the reins of the horse tight because you're going for a ride. And uh, we went for a ride and we ended up in California, moving into the Hollywood Hills up at Lookout Mountain Avenue. And ended up, after driving physically to every major 
church and ministry, every major church in Southern California. And I'd say that was probably the, the major churches we checked out and visited. I don't know, I'm going to guess 20, 25, let's say 20 or 15. Um, and you'd know their names, as many of you would know their names. But when we, when we finally, as we were driving to different churches, we, Church on the Way was like, came up on the list and we arrived. I wanted to, I told my wife, I wanted to get to Church on the Way early because I was concerned that because there were so many people in the movie industry and movie stars like Pat Boone and others, uh, that, um, you know, I wanted to get a seat. I didn't want to drive all that way to be standing outside or whatever. So we were there, like on the front steps. We had to wait an hour or something. And Church on the Way, unlike many churches, this was after the Jesus Movement. So in many places across the United States, the revival of the Jesus Movement had subsided. At Church on the Way at this time, the, the, a, the, a revival continued. Revival continued on at the church in the way when we arrived there and lasted for many years. And uh, Jack Hafer was preaching regularly on if my people were called by my name and the whole Second Chronicles 7.14 thing. And again, that became a clarifying call. And many things I did in terms of partnering with the ministry of Church in the Way and Jack Hafer had to do with that Bible verse. While, before we got to California and we were living in another state, not New York City and not California, uh, I participated in a Christian businessmen's, uh, a national Christian businessmen's movement, and spoke at their luncheons, and then ended up getting called to be their keynote speaker at their national convention, where I, international convention where I spoke, and. Um, then, in partnership with a lot of the evangelical and Christian churches of the city and state that we were in, they held a giant banquet prayer rally based on Second Chronicles 7.14. And my wife, because at that time she was a Christian actress, um, she was selected to uh, give a, a small presentation uh, before the people, and I don't know, there was something like 2,000 people there. Now, I didn't tell her what to choose. She chose this by herself, and what she did is she memorized Second Chronicles 7.14 and, and gave a small, appropriate, kind of like dramatic presentation uh, that was centered on Second Chronicles 7.14. And, of course, reading it, speaking it out loud, and as I recall, her, her part ended with everyone standing in the in the ballroom, the conference room or whatever, and uh, reading Second Chronicles seven fourteen out loud. So what I'm saying to you is this theme of Second Chronicles seven fourteen keeps emerging in my life. And if you go back in time again, where I was influenced by the books of Dr. Francis Schaeffer. Dr. Francis Schaeffer's teachings and writings essentially gave people a theological foundation, a biblical foundation, as well as a scientific, rational, logical, and historical foundation for such things as 2 Chronicles 
It was a call of God for that hour for the church in America. Now, we're going to skip ahead to the present day. Everything I've been doing in this ministry, Paul McGuire Ministries, Paradise Mountain Church, it all centers, I just dropped a flashlight in the studio, it all, it all centers on, um, or all has centered on praying for America, praying for revival, intercessory prayer warfare, evangelism, winning souls, teaching a biblical worldview. But the undergirding power and structure for that spiritually, whether I talk about it publicly or not, the foundation of all of that is Second Chronicles 7.14. And so as I was thinking during the last number of months, the, the, the theme began to emerge in my mind, and I realized as I looked back over my life that a hallmark of what was the invisible structure of my life, the hallmark, one of the primary hallmarks, was God's teaching and God's Word. Not only that, but specifically Second Chronicles 7.14 in relationship to America and what is going to happen to America in the future. And that is a burden that the Holy Spirit has given me, a supernatural burden. So that's why you hear me teach on it, um, whether I use that particular Bible verse or not. I teach on spiritual warfare a lot, because spiritual warfare is intertwined with the fate and the future of America. And one of the things that the Lord has called me to teach to the body of Christ is to remind the body of Christ that we're not supposed to be passive and apathetic, but we're supposed to obey the Lord, stand in the gap, and if we're truly praying, according to Second Chronicles 7.14, God promises to supernaturally intervene in our lives, our families, and our nation. And God actually promises to heal our land. If we're in sync with the Lord on these prayers. Now, in a moment, we're going to come back and connect this to the present situation in America. And it's important that you stay connected with us, because what you do with your life is not a small thing. Everybody's life is like, you know, when you throw a little pebble into a very peaceful and still and quiet lake in, in, in the country or in nature. And when that pebble it's the, the smooth surface of a, of a lake up in the mountains or something. It begins to disturb the, the, the solid texture of the lake, and you begin to see these concentric circles, you know, wind about in circles, the ripple effect. The ripple effect from the impact of a small pebble upon a quiet lake. The ripple effect causes these concentric circles to wind out from the pebble impact area, and it keeps going and rippling over the entire area of the lake. I mean, depending upon how large the lake is, but it will go quite a distance to the north, the south, the east, and the west. It will go quite a distance, and you'll see these ripples eventually hit the shore of the lake. Now, it's not going to hit, that's not going to happen to a lake, you know, of some massive size, but if you were into, the more you increase the pressure, on the surface of the lake. So there's a certain effect that would happen if a pebble hits the surface of a lake. 
or if a handheld heavy rock hits the surface of a lake, or if you were to somehow take some kind of machinery and drop a large boulder high up from and down into the surface of a lake, there would be a a sizable impact in terms of little waves and concentric circles. So your life, no matter how you appraise it, and whether you would appraise it as a pebble or a boulder or a rock or whatever, everybody's life makes an entire spectrum of impacts that go proportionately out like circles, and they go quite a distance. You may not think your life matters, but your life is invisibly impacting, invisibly directing the lives of many others. And you may not be aware of it, but that's your awareness is not essential. I mean, it would be nice, but it's not essential because it's going to happen whether you're aware of it or not. That's why it's so important that I do what the Lord calls me to do and you do what the Lord calls you to do because those ripples, the ripple effect, the the transformational effect of what the Lord is doing in our lives, even the unspoken things that the Lord is doing in our lives produces a ripple effect. And sometimes the supernatural body of Christ, the true Church of Jesus Christ, is called by God to come together in, in an emergency sense and gather together in biblical intercessory prayer for our nation in America. And then you begin to see massive ripple, uh, ripples, massive ripples flowing into the halls of power, the White House, all the different states impacting society in many different levels even though it may appear to be at times invisible, God is still honoring his word. If you pray 2 Chronicles 7.14, as the Lord requires, then then the Lord is going to release healing upon the land. And that's what we all want. We want healing upon the land. America needs healing upon its land right now. Because if we don't have healing upon the land of America, Many, many nations across the world are going to suffer horribly. And there's many, many people, Christians and non-Christians, whether they realize it or not, they're going to suffer horribly if America is allowed to collapse and God does not intervene and heal our land. I mean, what we do, even individually, and even more so when we come together as one, really is important. It really does matter, and it really is a big deal. You're listening to the Paul McGuire Report. You need to spread this message. You need to stand with us and spread this message far and wide. Visit paulmcguire.us. We'll be back in a moment. Okay, so the specific way God is calling us to pray now in America, and has been calling us to pray, by the way, in America and other nations, going back countless decades. The call of God has been on his people to pray in intercessory prayer. So once again, in Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name, such as Christians or Bible-believing Christians or whatever, and will humble themselves. So you've got to humble yourself before the Lord. That means you lay down your pride, you, you, you repent of the sinful attitude of, quote, I know it all, and then you become unteachable, and unbendable, 
you you have to have you have to be wise before the Lord, but you have to be humble. And then you have to obey the Lord when he calls you to pray and obey the Lord when he calls you to be an intercessory prayer warrior. Your spiritual growth and what you see God do in your life, or what you see God don't do, bad English, in your life, is based upon your willingness to obey the Lord and to become an intercessory prayer warrior, somebody who prays. So destiny, vision, the future, how things turn out, and all kinds of things are all contingent upon whether or not you go to the Lord, humble yourself before the Lord, you seek the face of God, the biblical God, and turn or repent from your wicked ways or sins, and then I will hear from heaven. And so if you do those things, the repentance part and the obedience part, then the Lord promises, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin, your sin, my sin, but this people's sins, and then God promises, and I will heal their land. I will heal their land. So for us in America, it's America. If you're praying in another nation, it would be healing in that nation. And the degree of healing, the percentage of healing, is based on the Lord's appraisal of the situation. Our job is to obey the Lord. The results and the measurement or evaluation of the results, that's his job. He's king of kings and lord of lords. I'm not. You're not. Thank God, huh? Okay, so I look back at my life, and God has moved in other people's lives with a call or callings. But I look back at my life, and I see it is obvious that one of the primary themes that is just like lit up like Las Vegas at night. I did that on purpose. Forgive me. I I knew I wanted to insert a jazzy description, okay? But I knew... And if I say I said, because it just came to me, if I knew if I said the terms lit up like Las Vegas at night, that would throw people like a curveball, and, and they would some people would theologically be confused, and I didn't want to leave them in a state of theological confusion by using a term which appears to be, it is, a blatant contradiction in and of itself. So I repent, and I pull back that term, lit up like Las Vegas at night. I can take it back. That's just, well, I take that back. That's a bad analogy. Just lit up like the kingdom of heaven would suffice. Okay, so uh, the key is we have to be willing to pray, to shine the light of Jesus Christ. A more appropriate analogy would be the one I'm going to give you right now. While we were in Manhattan, New York City, while I was at the Lambs Club, and I think at this time I was married to, to my wife, Christina. Um, uh, a famous woman in Christian circles was going to speak. Many of you will know her name or saw the movie about her life. Her name was Corey Ten Boom. And she and her sisters were alive. They were young women when Adolf Hitler and the Nazis took over Germany. And the Nazis built those horrible concentration camps and uh, murdered, you know, over 30 million Jews and Gentiles uh, in Auschwitz, the concentration camps, and it was a nightmare. And Corrie ten Boom, her sister died in one of Hitler's concentration camps, 
But miraculously, uh, Corrie ten Boom survived and eventually spoke all around the world and spoke in America. So she was still alive, and she spoke in, in this giant hall right across the street from Madison Square Garden. And the main thing I remember about her speech was that it didn't matter how small the light of the Lord it was that is shining. Her, her point was that whenever the Lord shines his light through people, no matter how small it appears, that light will light up the room. And then standing on the platform in this very large auditorium, Corey Ten Boom, as the lights turned out and she holds up a single candle, a little tiny birthday candle type candle. And that little t- tiny birthday cake type candle lit up to, to a, 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 a sizable degree, a noticeable degree. It lit up this entire massive room that was completely dark. Now, it wasn't a bright light in terms of, it was a bright light in terms of you could see it from a distance, but it was obvious that one little candle light changed the entire lighting atmosphere of a giant room. And all over that room, people could see uh, the light from that candle. And, and that you've seen that illustration. I'm sure it's been done in your life by, by people. That one tiny light of a candle in a completely dark room, it, it affects, and you say, well, my life doesn't count, and you know, nobody seems to be listening to what I'm saying. All of those statements are false assessments. The truth is, even if the light is a tiny amount that's shining from your light, a life, it impacts the entire room. There's no way they can't see it. That was Corey Ten Boom's point. There's no way people can't see the light. It's like this program, the Paul McGuire Report. We're not the biggest platform or social media program or outreach. The point is not being the biggest. The point is being accurate, strategic, and faithful. And the light from this program is like the light that Corey Ten Boom shined. It's about the brightness of the light, even if it's a candle. That brightness alters the entire atmosphere of a nation. It alters the entire spiritual atmosphere of a nation. Just that one candle. Now, when you partner with Paul McGuire Ministries and Paradise Mountain Church through your financial contributions and donations and as an intercessory prayer warrior and by spreading the word, through by spreading our links, you are empowering us to shine that like candlelight. It's more than one candle. I don't know how many candles it is, but it's a lot. But the point is, whatever amount it is, by God's rules, by God's precepts, that light that we're shining on all those social media platforms is, is impacting our nation in ways that are very, it's not obvious to a casual observer, but the emails, the feedback we get, the testimonies, so I'm not going to drop names, but I could drop names of people who have been impacted by this ministry. So we can only do it when people like you respond to the call of the Lord. And so I believe in the same auditorium, because it's been a long time, Corey Ten Boom had candles distributed in a safe way to, to people everywhere in the auditorium, along with a 
those small lighters and they lit up the candles. And you've seen them do this in rock and roll or music concerts, symphonies and stuff. And, and when, then all of a sudden you, you see thousands of lights, little tiny lights, thousands of little birthday candle type tiny lights are, are burning and glowing and shining their light. And then it makes a huge impact. In fact, you can start with a single light and you'll notice something if you watch light. And I'm talking about spiritual light, the light of Jesus Christ. I'm talking about decades of my being in the ministry. Decades. And you learn things. You learn to recognize and observe patterns. And we, we're not the only one shining the light. Obviously not. But when you shine the light somewhere, you notice at first it's sometimes met with resistance. Or sometimes you feel like you're the only one shining the light. But your job is to be faithful. The results are up to Jesus. But as that light begins to, to shine and continues to shine, it inevitably, because the light of Jesus Christ, the light of his word, has inherent supernatural power in it. It begins to. It can't be blocked. You know that. It can't. The devil cannot, no matter what the devil does, he can hammer, attack, use every wile and strategy that he has in attempts to block the light of the Lord. But when the day is done, he cannot, in a final sense, be victorious in his efforts to block the light of the Lord. Jesus is Lord. The devil isn't. He has the final say-so. You've partnered with Jesus. You're Jesus' man or Jesus' woman. Corny as it sounds, that's the way it is, and I don't apologize for it, ever. And you shouldn't either. So the thing is, we shine the light of the Lord. And as we shine the light of the Lord, the power of God, supernatural transformation, answered prayers begins to show up. I believe, and now let me tell you what I'm not saying first. In my book, A Prophecy of the Future of America, I tell the story of a vision I had looking down on America and the North American continent where I saw a, a third great awakening, a, a national revival break out. Now, let me, I want you to hear the parameters. The vision, my sense was, the vision was not saying, this is guaranteed, Paul. Hear what I'm saying. It was, it was like the Lord was saying, what you're seeing, Paul, is what I, I desire, what can happen. But a revival or a, a great awakening is contingent upon the repentance of sin from my people, their willingness to humble themselves and pray to me, their willingness to obey Second Chronicles 7.14 and pray and call on me to heal their land. And if my people do those things, like the things I outline in Second Chronicles 7.14, then the Lord said to my heart in a still small voice, the Lord said, this is possible, and he showed me a vision of a biblical third great awakening in America. Now, whether that only—this is the point I want to emphasize. I am not saying that America—whoop-dee-doo, happy birthday, welcome to Disneyland, and, and God is guaranteeing that it's going to be a Christian nation. We're going to go back to, like, everybody's going to live in Disneyland, and we're going to live happily ever after. I am not saying that unless you're standing upside down 
smoking or drinking ayahuasca tea. I'm not saying that. Got it? Are we on the same track? I am not saying that. I'm not giving you a Pollyanna depiction of the future. It can still be a biblical revival that impacts the nation and thus the world, even if it only is a revival among 4% of the population. And yes, even if it's only a revival of 1% of the population, it can transform the world. So think back to what I just shared with you about Corey Ten Boom lighting up that one candle on stage in Manhattan and what she said about how the, the darkness has never defeated the light. The darkness has never defeated the light. And how that one candle she held up lit up the room. It impacted the room. In the same way, an authentic biblical revival and Great Awakening lit up in the heart of one person or the heart of 1% of America or just 1% of Christians in America and can impact the entire nation and affect the entire nation. It doesn't mean it's going to 100% transform the entire nation because some people will never turn to the Lord. Some people are never going to repent. So that's why it's a biblical revival. Now, as I look back over my life, I see a theme is this being called to champion the truth of 2 Chronicles 7.14 and things like that, and standing for that and communicating that message through every technology possible. That's why I need your partnership, because we're at the edge of a cliff. We are at the edge of a cliff. And anybody with half a brain and anybody who has any real idea about what's going on, you want to know about what's really going on, get yourself a copy of my book, Power from on High, The Greatest Battle for the Hearts and Minds of Mankind, A Prophecy of the Future of America, which are, on di- which are at discount prices right now at paulmcguire.us. To the people who know what's really going on, they recognize that a very demonic force is at work in the world. And that is the people secretly behind the Great Reset and their new world order, which they've renamed the, the, the Great Reset. And they want to, whether, whether they own up to it or not, they are bringing in a Luciferian one-world government, one-world religion, one-world economic system, radi- radical genetic modifications. And uh, a neural implant or a biochip or a microchip, and uh, plug everybody into a hive mind or world brain, which, when you read the book of Revelation, very closely matches the description of the Antichrist and false prophet, one world economic system, and one world uh, religion. And Our responsibility is not to march blindly in a a trance-like robot state of consciousness where we're just marching mindlessly into oblivion. God didn't call us to march into, into oblivion. And obviously we need his word and we need the power of the Holy Spirit, power from on high, to accomplish the call. But we have got to obey the call now, today. This second, not any, not any later. I'm tired of people po- using the postponement excuse constantly, as our nation is literally on the verge of destruction. 
when I was promoting concerts in Manhattan, uh, there was a hit song at the time, this is for those who were back there, called The Eve of Destruction, and it was really a Bible prophecy song. And it was sung by a non-Christian, Eve of Destruction, known as Barry Maguire. And it was literally like the late great Planet Earth book put the music. Later, Barry Maguire became saved. I took him out to dinner with my wife at a restaurant on Broadway before he performed uh, at the Lambs Club. And uh, we were at the eve of destruction back then. It's just God's grace stole upon us, but we're now beyond the eve of destruction. I don't know what you call that. It's just some time zone. Maybe God created a time zone based on grace, on merit favor. I don't know. But I do know is that we need to turn to God. That means you repent. That means you, you ask God to help you. Ask God to cleanse you. Call on God for his power. And you begin to pray for what God puts on your heart. You become an intercessory prayer warrior. And so, for example, if even 4% or 10% or 15% or 20% of the peace people listening to this program now, the Paul McGuire Report, or even if 1% or 4% of the people listening now to the Paul McGuire Report would turn and become an intercessory prayer warrior and pray for America and cry out to God, as God describes in 2 Chronicles 7.14, you and I have been given the awesome privilege and power of changing the destiny and future of millions of lives even if it's just 1% or 4% of us. That's the spiritual power and authority the Lord has given us. So I say to you, as your, your friend and brother in the Lord, this is it. It's now. There's no other time. You just happen to have been born. I've just happened to be born in this time zone. And this time zone has a synonym. It's not Pacific Standard Time. It's not Mountain Standard Time. It's Jesus' time. And Jesus' time means he is right at the door. And Jesus' time means that he is coming like a flash of light from the east and the west. And it's going to happen so quick that the Bible describes the return of the Lord like, like a thief in the night. Boom! He's here and he's gone. It will happen so quickly. And so violently, in a spiritually violent sense. And when I say violently, the violence is not coming from the evil nature of God. The violence is the result of God extending his righteous and rightful authority over the earth, and the devil and the followers of the devil attempting to, to revolt against the lordship of Christ. And that's where Armageddon erupts. So, we are in the time. And you have a call and purpose. Even if you can do nothing but lie in bed most of the day, you can pray in that bed. And I want to challenge you, and I want to exhort you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to recognize that it is not your imagination and that the Lord is calling you now to rise in prayer and to be faithful until he comes, to be faithful until he comes. And that faithful means you rise in prayer, and that faithfulness means you obey the Lord when he calls you, whether he's calling you to be an intercessory prayer warrior, or he's calling you to contribute financially to this ministry, or a ministry that God's directing you towards, obey the Lord. 
and then spread our links and participate and, and join us because you're here for a reason. And you'll find that as you begin to obey the Lord in one area, the grace of God and the vision of God and the outpouring of the Spirit of God begins to take place. It spreads from one area into many areas of your life. That's really another example of what happens when revival breaks out. So visit paulmcguire.us, that's paulmcguire.us, and let us remember that Jesus is coming, and the Word of God, the Bible says, Jesus is coming soon. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Visit paulmcguire.us.